This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand. Uh, good morning to you all. I hope uh, you're having a great day wherever you are and uh, the weather's at least kind. Even if you're in lockdown, you can pop out for a walk or take the dog for a stroll. Uh, let's just uh, hope the news gets better and better in terms of uh, the number of cases, particularly for you in Auckland. So you can enjoy the freedom that uh, the rest of us around the country are starting to do back down at level two. A busy show today, uh, Mark Chapman from the Black Caps are about to head off to Pakistan, first time in 18 years, catch up uh, with the all-rounder. Uh, Tawara Nico is uh, joining us, uh, of course, to talk about uh, the NRL, his time at the Storm, uh, and just how special an outfit that, that one is, because they just seem to be there all the time at the pointy end of the season. Uh, after 10 o'clock, Fiona Allen joins us, and Fiona uh, is the boss of Paralympics in New Zealand, um, and uh, just... I guess uh, just looking at uh, how she felt the whole thing went, the logistics of it, uh, the overall performance was very, very good. And looking to the future, Hayley Holt and Jeff McTainch will be on the panel today, find some interesting subjects for them. And also just after 11 o'clock, we're going to go back in time to Taranaki to the great Dave Trapper Loveridge to talk about uh, what he's up to these days, maybe a bit of Taranaki rugby, of course, and certainly the halfbacks around the All Black squad at the moment. We look pretty healthy in that department, don't we? Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, predictably, another Black Cap loss overnight and another series loss to the Tigers of Bangladesh with one match to go. Sounds bad, looks bad on paper. On the surface of it, when you consider the match conditions, it was always a mild case of lambs to the slaughter. The whole mini-tour was, in fact. This is not the strongest New Zealand squad, but it's a long way from a bad one and on an even playing field they'd win their fair share over the Bangladeshis, but this is far from that. It might just prompt the ICC to take a closer look at the pitches they're providing over there at the moment. It seems nigh on impossible to play the exciting, fast-paced style of cricket the game was designed for. Scores ranging between 70 and 100 are all too common and make for largely one-sided drab affairs. There is a clear pat and Australia suffered the same fate, so for this group the advice would be to forget about the overall results, take what little learnings you have and move on. Put it, as they say, down to experience, an average one. The good news for the squad though is that they travel in the knowledge that they can come home. They will have pre-arranged MIQ spots, no small guarantee on the mind of those pursuing their goals overseas at the moment. It is an unacceptable situation for too many. And just to finish with a little poser, 
just say, just say a high-profile All Black was an invalided out of this long tour that they've just embarked on. Just say he needed some quick surgery from proper medical care and rehabilitation. How long, how long might uh, he have to wait in line? Truth is, I'm just stirring there, really. I don't know the answer to that. And that's the biggest issue of all. Those waiting impatiently in line, it seems they can't get an answer either. Well, 9.06 here, and uh, as we just uh, talked about, the Black Caps have uh, suffered a, a T20 series loss in Bangladesh, which has uh, started to get a reputation as a bit of a graveyard for touring teams. Uh, ask the Australians, they found out just recently as well. Uh, they bowled out for 93, Bangladesh won by six wickets with five balls to spare, but it was always looking like a relatively comfortable run chase after they had some early setbacks. And uh, watching from back home uh, is Black Caps all-rounder Mark Chapman, who will be joining the team, or some of the squad anyway, in Pakistan shortly. Mark, thanks uh, for joining us this morning. When do you actually leave? How many people actually go on your flight this time around? Because well, it's a bit confusing with these mixed squads. Morning, Smithy. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it is a little bit confusing with different tours and, and different squads going at different times, but there's, uh, there's five of us leaving tomorrow, tomorrow in the evening. And... You, you will join, um, now let me get this straight, uh, for the, predominantly for the T20s, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So um, the five of us, I believe it's myself, Ish, Daryl, Toddy and Gup, um, will yep. join the squad in Pakistan and will play the five T20s and then head to Dubai for the World Cup. Okay, so let's look at this. This is quite historic, really. I mean, New Zealand hasn't been there for 18 years for various political and security safety type reasons. How do you feel about being the, the, the first squad back there? Yes, obviously it's been a while. Um, and New Zealand cricket, with in conjunction with the Players Association, have run a, a very thorough safety process, and we've got full confidence in that. So, uh, you know, we're looking forward to heading over there. So what kind of... Um, what, what have they told you about security protocols and, and COVID protocols uh, around this tour? Well, they've got um, an independent security advisor that has gone over in advance and um, and talked to all the the relevant parties. And uh, we've sat on various Zoom calls and, and been briefed on on all the things that have been put in place. And, and there's also a, um, a New Zealand cricket representative from a COVID perspective that has been in Pakistan um, recently that is going through all the protocols as well. So we've got full confidence in that. Five T20s will be played in Lahore, and um, you know that'll be great from that point of view because Pakistan, I think, are a genuine contender when it comes to a T20 tournament. So uh, let's let's look a, a little bit deeper into uh, the importance of these, bearing in mind, uh, you know, what's coming up down the track in, in terms of the T20 World Cup. Just how important and, and how much must you get out of these? Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important. I think. Um, you know, for a lot of guys, it's kind of getting back into the swing of things. Um, you know, we've been stuck home here in lockdown, and um, it'll just be nice to head away and play some cricket first and foremost. And then, and then secondly, I think the conditions in Pakistan uh, won't be too dissimilar to to what we we could potentially face in the UAE. Similar scores. Um, I've been watching quite a lot of footage and and trying to assess out what a good score would be. So I think you know anywhere around that 150 to 160 mark probably 
not quite turning as much as it, as it is in Bangladesh at the moment. Yeah, so vastly different, uh, vastly different from from Bangladesh. Uh, what have you made of of those conditions? Just how you know, I, I find it frustrating that the game is actually designed for you know all aspects of it, which includes the ability to have good stroke play, etc. It looks very, very, very hard to bat on these services, and I, I don't, I'm not necessarily sure that's a great thing or a great preparation. Yeah, I think you know Bangladesh have uh, have really wanted to stamp their mark on on beating some some high-profile teams, and and they obviously, uh, I, I believe that it looks like they they see the best way set is to to play to their home conditions, and and to be honest, we're, we've we've. It's re- it's been really tricky for us coming out of a New Zealand winter, heading straight into those conditions. They're probably as tough as any going away, um, and and pretty foreign to us. Um, but you know, it's been really good to see the guys learning and adapting as they've gone on, and you know, they've really pushed hard. So what what have you been able to do at home then? I mean, you can there's only so much time you can spend indoors and nets and and things like that. Uh, what, what kind of preparation have you guys been able to put in? <laughs> to be honest, it's been really tricky with a with the level four lockdown. Um, we were pretty fortunate that we had a few camps at the Mount just before we went into lockdown. So I guess we preloaded some, some skills in there. And and for us uh, at home, it's probably been mainly about, you know, getting our, our physic, uh, physical preparation in, in top neck and, and getting ready so that we can hit the ground running once we get there. And I believe we've got um, sort of eight, eight to ten days um, before we actually get into our first game. So, um, you know, that'll give us plenty of time to pre- prepare and get up to speed skills-wise. Uh, I think uh, spin will be quite a big factor uh, in the T20 World Cup, or slow bowling in particular, changing of pace. How how uh, how much uh, preparation? I mean, it's very hard, as you say, if you haven't got anyone to bowl to, uh, to, to prepare. But, but how have you been able to go about that art then? Um. That hasn't been easy, uh, particularly in, in the middle of winter when when um, things are pretty wet. Um, but every time the sun shines, I try and get out and and mimic some uh, some preparation. And it's, it's pretty tricky, but you know, put some cones out, and, and it's more working on technical bowling work. Um, and and a few visualize, visualization techniques here and there also come in pretty handy. Who do you use as guidance for spin bowling uh, in terms of your development? Uh, I've worked closely with Heinrich Milan uh, at Auckland Cricket, who has actually, over the last 12 to 18 months, has been really, really good for my bowling in terms of understanding my, my action and my technique and being able to, to help me problem-solve myself. Um, so, yeah, he's been awesome. Uh, you know, you're going to get uh, ample opportunity over uh, those five games, I would imagine, um, to uh, try and cement yourself into that uh, top side. Um, with that kind of balance that we're, you know, New Zealand side is looking for in that middle order type slot, um, able to bowl up to four overs, um, I, I guess you're looking at a, a kind of a, a Mitchell Sampner type role, and, and you know, in terms of uh, in terms of that with the team. Yeah, I think the indication is probably to be batting in the middle to to top order, and then you know, adding value with the ball. Um, if conditions suit, which, which obviously in the the subcontinent they'll they'll likely get an over or two. So um, so yeah, so you know that's been the communication so far, and you know I'm looking forward to getting over there and and getting an ob- opportunity to hopefully play a little bit more consistently. Yeah, okay. Well, yours is a great story actually because uh, you're not foreign to international cricket. Uh, you've had um, 
opportunities with New Zealand, but your career started uh, with Hong Kong, and of course, when you played for New Zealand, you you became quite an quite elite group that have played for two nations. So, uh, tell us a, a little bit about um, playing for Hong Kong and then playing for New Zealand as a difference, and why you actually ended up with New Zealand. Yeah, it's it's been a an interesting cricketing journey. So, um, I was born in Hong Kong, and once I reached uh, secondary school, I, I came over to New Zealand for boarding school, which was which was always the plan. And um, while I was boarding here in New Zealand, I, I was actually playing for the Hong Kong men's team, and and we had a really successful period for for three to four years, where we actually played in a couple of T20 World Cups, and you know taught a lot um, in the subcontinent. So um, you know, life as a, an associate cricketer is is quite tricky at times. Um, you know, the resources aren't aren't quite there, and and yet there are very limited playing opportunities. But um, I guess it is it is a lot of high stakes cricket because every every game you play, I guess there's there's a lot of funding on the line, so it's quite crucial every fixture, and and there's a lot of tournament play. So, you know, hopefully that can that experience will help me uh, leading into this World Cup with New Zealand. What about uh, conditions uh, uh, for cricket in Hong Kong, and in terms of comparing them to New Zealand conditions? Um, the the wickets in Hong Kong are are a lot slower. I think I mean the grounds there are pretty small. There's only three uh, grass wicket fields in Hong Kong, so pretty limited. And you know you're pretty lucky if you're you're actually playing on a grass wicket. Most of the cricket was on astroturf. Um, but the yeah the wickets are pretty slow. I mean coming to New Zealand, I had to adjust to to more pace and more bounce and obviously more seam movement. In terms of uh, your career, looking forward, still a young man, um, still got a lot to prove and a lot to, a lot to achieve in the game. Are you predominantly looking at white ball cricket going forward, or uh, do you still have uh, an open mind towards red ball cricket too? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think um, with the nature of my career with Hong Kong, most of the cricket that we played was actually white ball. So I guess that's where my experience lied, and and it's just so lined up with New Zealand that that most of the cricket, all of the cricket that I've played with New Zealand has been, you know, white ball cricket. Um, but, you know, I certainly have ambitions um, with the whites on to be playing red ball cricket for New Zealand. And you know, I've played a bit of cricket for New Zealand A now and four-day stuff. And, you know, it's pretty competitive at the moment, as as you will be well aware um, in that test side. So, it's you know, it's about putting the numbers up and pushing my case, really. So that, that means um, in the new year, you're pretty well tied up till Christmas. So that means... Um a full season with Auckland when you get back? Absolutely, most likely. I think, well, it's obviously the home summer still yet to be confirmed, but, um, you know, once we get home, it'll be it'll be getting stuck in with Auckland. But I, I imagine in December, January, it'll likely still be white ball cricket. OK, well, Mark, uh, in your next endeavour, of course, is your tour to Pakistan. Look, uh, travel safely. Hope it goes extremely well for you. Hope uh, they provide some fair conditions that you can actually start preparing for uh, the UAE. Uh, that's the most important thing, that you, you make the most of the opportunity. So good luck with that, eh? Thanks, Billy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, cheers. Good luck. Travel well, mate. Uh, Mark Chapman there, folks. Uh, 9.17 here on SENZ. What did you make of uh, the Black Caps uh, overnight in, in terms of uh, the series against uh, Bangladesh? Do we read anything into it? Uh, has anything uh, let you down? I mean, Colin de Gronholm again last night, zero. Another one to add to that long list of failures. So um, what future for him? Uh, and, uh, of course, this interesting tour that they've got to 
uh, <coughs> to Pakistan. We had some interesting uh, thoughts yesterday on MIQ. Uh, should they jump? Should they jump the list? Should they uh, get special treatment? Our athletes overseas, um, and it just seems that uh, you know the big organisations like rugby and cricket um, seem to have uh, booked a lot more accommodation or a lot more vouchers. Who's in charge of the vouchers anyway? Is it a government thing? Is it High Performance New Zealand? Who actually looks after and makes those decisions? Interesting. Be nice to know. We might have to try and find that out. Uh, Nine eighteen, as I said here on SENZ. We'll be back shortly. Eighty-eight thirty-three. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, we've got uh, a couple of texts in already regarding uh, cricket. Uh, Morning, Smithy. Just saw India's T20 World Cup squad and they've named MS Dhoni as a mentor. I think the Black Caps could have done the same thing and take Ross Taylor as travelling reserve and mentor. Well, they could have done that. I I think there's always a bit of a a danger when you take someone uh, in a a squad like that. And I'm talking to Ross Taylor here, who genuinely would quite like to be in the squad himself. (laughs) I'm not quite sure that's the kind of role... um, that Ross Taylor would want, actually, to be around a team that he physically can't be part of. <clears throat> and I think there's a danger thing when you're too close to that. Uh, M.S. Stoney's an interesting one for me as well, um, because uh, M.S. Stoney walks into an Indian dressing room or hangs around an Indian cricket squad. He's probably still got a higher profile than the captain, Virat Kohli. He's probably thought more highly of than Virat Kohli uh, as a player and as a leader, because Kohli's still got some work to do in that department. And and he tends to polarise people. Dhoni is unquestionably Mr Popular of Indian cricket. So to have him floating around the dressing room and have him <coughs> alongside players might be quite divisive, particularly if it doesn't go too well for India. So I think there's a bit of a danger there. He is so powerful in the eyes of uh, Indian people and in the eyes of uh, his fellow players. So that, it's a, a very interesting call because he's not that far out of the game, not that far removed from the game. Uh, Smithy, the best fast bowler we have had up in Hong Kong is the winner of many derbies, runner-up the Melbourne Cup and lethal off a long run. The great, great Bob Vance, swing and speed, took many wickets on the slow Hong Kong pitches. That's a little-known fact from Steve Moore. There you go, Bobby Vance. I had no idea that uh, Bobby Vance was involved in that. Uh, what, have we, what else have we got, John? What else have we got to, to talk about? Well, this is interesting, Smithy. Um, you know, we're talking yep. about um, laws and rugby and how, you know, head knocks and concussions and red cards and all these things that are all popping up. Well, New Zealand Rugby's just put out a release this morning saying they're going to be trialling yep. various law variations in club and school competitions next year. Of course, this is also um, kids not allowed to header the ball potentially in New Zealand football. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the things they're going to be offering in uh, club and school rugby next year is going to be no tackling above the sternum, which is going to be a very interesting one to police, no jumping for high balls, and offering uncontested scrums after a blameless reset and a maximum push of one and a half metres in a scrum. So these are just some of the variations they're going to try for next year, Smithy. No jumping for high balls and no tackling above the sternum, the nipple line. We've heard about them bringing this in before, but more... Rules uh, for rugby for referees to police. I no jumping for high balls is an interesting one to me. Is there anything in there about keeping the score? Are you allowed to keep the score? <laughs> I haven't got that far. This is hot off the press, Smithy. So uh, there's a lot to read because there's 15 experimental domestic safety law variations. So obviously New Zealand rugby's 
very you know aware of the p- participation in rugby. I think basketball's the most participated sport or fastest growing. Football wouldn't be far behind, and rugby's losing players. So, fifteen experimental domestic safety law variations are being introduced next season. Yeah, no tackling above the nipple and no jumping for a high ball. I used to love jumping for the high ball as a kid. Well, it's a great skill. It's one of the reasons you pick some players is their ability under the high ball uh, in terms of defence for your back three. And we've, we've had some great exponents of it. And surely this is just not a, a knee-jerk reaction to the Geordie Barrett thing. That, uh, I mean, that was a one-off and it's been proven uh, in the judiciary that it was probably the wrong thing to do. But, I mean, what are we... What are they looking to achieve by that? Is, is it a safety thing? I mean, really? It's a technique thing more than anything else. I mean, to me, a game of rugby with those kind of things there is a hybrid form of the game, an absolute hybrid form of the game. And I, I, I don't see that. I mean, if you're going to try these things, try them at all levels. When the best players are trying these things, at the, on the, with exposure to the public and that sort of thing, when the best players are, are, are using those rule changes, Try it then. See if it works. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. There's, there's already ripper rugby. There's already touch rugby. You know, there are v- variations that you can play rugby extremely safely. I mean, I just don't see how... It's just taking away a major skill in the game. Uh, that's catching yeah. for high balls. And you know, the nipple line, like uh, all jerseys going to have to have a bit of tape joining John, your nipples John, up. please. John, please. John, here's the thing. Can you call it the sternum line like they did? The sternum line? What what's what's with this? Please, will you call it? They've I've said it in the press release. Is there any word nipple in there or sternum? It's John. sternum, Smithy. But your, your sternum Thank starts you. down there and finishes up by your throat. So stomach to throat. Your sternum's quite long. It's about a foot long. So where under? So under the sternum is it? So where it starts uh, that you can't tackle above there. The well, bottom of the sternum. Find out. You'll find out. But I can promise you. Uh, no, I won't say that. I won't say that. I'm, ta- I'm, I'm steering away from that. Uh, yeah, a disappointing performance again by the Black Caps overnight. It's a great subject, actually. You've heard those laws from John. Just, yeah. uh, just read those out again. And, um, folks, double eight, double three, particularly you rugby folk, what do you think about a game of rugby, John, that looks like you cannot catch a high ball in the air, you cannot touch anyone above the sternum line? Sternum, yes. And what was... Yep. And what was the other one? And uncontested scrum. So if you have one scrum that goes down straight away, then you can offer both teams uncontested scrum. So no pushing in the scrum after one collapse, no jumping in the air for a high ball, and no tackles above the bottom of the sternum. Uh, This is what rugby's going to look like for our kids um, next year. And it's just not rugby, is it? Hasn't taken long. Michael's come in with woke rugby. Woke rugby, that's what they're going to call it. Uh, what about the ball carrier leading with his head? That's one of the most dangerous parts of rugby. So, you know, can they outlaw that as well? It's a technical thing. Oh, that is, I think it's going over the top. And what levels, please? First 15 rugby and what levels? I haven't what looked rugby? completely into it, but there's schoolboy rugby and um, yeah, high school rugby, it looks like at this point. But we've got a news bulletin now, Smithy, for me to have a look deeper. There are 15 law variations and it's quite a big document. So I'll keep scrolling through that and I'm sure we'll talk about it as the morning goes on. And you sort out your sternum issues as well. It's 9.30. Here's Trudy with the news. Rugby League now and the NRL finals get underway tomorrow night with a classic grudge match between the minor premiers, the Melbourne Storm, 
and the Manly Sea Eagles. We're joined now by one of the most popular players ever in Storm history. He even had a grandstand named after him at Melbourne's Olympic Park. 1999 Premiership winner, Tawara Nico, one of my favourite league players, a great gentleman as well. Uh, Tawara, good morning to you. Where, where do we find you these days and what are you up to? Back down, living the dream in the Waikato, back home on the farm. Uh, but yeah, um, beautiful spring weather down here, and, and we're, we're out of lockdown level two, mate. So back to some normality. Feel sorry for you fellas in Auckland, but uh, hey, uh, you might be there for another couple of weeks, mate. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, feel sorry, yep, absolutely right to feel sorry for them too. Uh, to worry about, is this your favourite time of the year, the NRL finals time? Oh, mate, this is the time. You know, you want to be playing footy, uh, rugby league this time of the year. As the finals, everything ramps up, goes to another level. Uh, it's a really exciting time in terms of that smithy. And, um, you know, if you look at the season over in Australia, you know, the NRL has done a, an amazing job to, to get through with what's happened with COVID, you know, through New South Wales, through Victoria. And, you know, the announcement that the final is going to be played in Brisbane at Suncorp Stadium is, you know, fantastic for the game where, you know, they'll have a capacity crowd. I think it's been phenomenal. I think they've uh, they've been a lesson to a lot of people. Uh, the NRL and Peter Valandis, the way they've gone about things and just got on with it. it it's been, I think it's been quite inspiring. But speaking of that, uh, Tawara, you of course um, were way back in 1998, uh, co-captain of the Storm with Glenn Lazarus. Could you imagine at that time that 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 franchise, the Storm franchise, would be as successful, as prolific as it has been? It's been an amazing run. Oh, it certainly has been, Smithy, and no, no, you would have, you would have not have thought that in your wildest dreams, but, um, you know, over the last well, 16 years, Craig Bellamy has taken the club to a whole new level, and doesn't matter what players come into the organisation, they always have this ability to, um, you know, to be consistent, uh, to be set some high standards, and, um, you know, just ruthless year in, year out, and... You know, when the likes of Cameron Smith retired last year, before that it was um, Billy Slater and then Cooper Cronk, uh, the storm just keeps on trucking on. And, you know, it reminds me of the Crusaders a lot, Smithy, in terms of, you know, that culture, uh, that attitude and that leadership within the organisation. Uh, they've just gone on to bigger and better things. But, you know, when you look through the side, um, you know, New Zealanders have always been a big part of the Melbourne storm. And, uh, you know, my old teammate Steve Kearney, you know, got axed from the Warriors last year. He's back in the in the coaching box with the Melbourne Storm, and I'm, I'm sure he would have been enjoying the um, the experience that he would have gained over the last year working with the Melbourne Storm. But no, not in my wildest dreams I would have ever um, imagined they'd be in the position that they are today. But you know, that's all all due credit to you know to the team at Melbourne, uh, the coaching staff, and, and the players and the commitment that they have. See, when you set up back there, not only did you have uh, the giant that was the NRL, and basically you're looking at Sydney here, New South Wales, not only then, but you're, you're trying to set up uh, in a city which is completely and utterly dominated by Australian rules football. So tell us about you know, what, how you went about building what, uh, how, what you started there. Yeah, no, it was it was quite clever, actually. Reeves, um, John Rebo was uh, you know the CEO way back in those days, and one of the owners of the club and you know that came out of the architecture of the Super League war because they wanted to try and make you know rugby league a uh, a national sport in Australia so you know there was western Australia there was uh, the, you know Victoria which you know rugby league was played predominantly in New South Wales and Queensland um, so going to Melbourne and going to Victoria was was a big gamble by the NRL way back then in 1998 
when we first came into existence. And, uh, you know, for us to be very successful, um, Smitty, as you said, you were going up against the might of the AFL. And, and the AFL was truly a national game way back in those days. And, you know, you had a couple of teams out of the West Coast and they were very successful. You had Adelaide, you know, you had Victoria, you had, you know, Brisbane, uh, also in the Sydney Swans also. So, you know, though traditionally the AFL were bigger in terms of that, but you know, what Melbourne has been able to do over the last 24 years now in terms of that being in the competition is really laid a solid foundation for the NRL to truly call itself, uh, you know, a, a national sport. And there is some talk of Peter Blandy's and the ARLC commission about expanding, you know, uh, the game to the West Coast and possibly another team in New Zealand in the near future. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, you know, the success of the storm over that was really, really tough, but it was the foresight and vision of a couple of key people uh, that really gave the storm the impetus in those early days. Okay, you played under Chris Anderson. You were successful under him. Of course, these days, it's Craig Bellamy at the helm. He's been there now for quite some time. What do you... Th- I mean, he's a fiery little fella. Uh, he, he doesn't uh, leave you guessing as to how he feels about certain things. What has made him so successful, you think? Well, I just think Craig's one of those guys who you know, just strives uh, to set really high standards. You know, if you go to the Storm and... There's been a lot of players over the years, Smithy, that have come from other clubs that weren't that good, but if they buy into the culture, they buy into the organisation and the values that they have there, then you accept that as part of that team. So, you know, um, Craig Bellamy doesn't suffer fools. He, you know, he likes people that will go there and work really hard. doesn't matter about your ability and everything, but if you're prepared to put yourself uh, before, before uh, you know, and, and the team first, you know, you always have a place at the Melbourne Storm. So Craig Bellamy, I've been in the box at times when he smashed the phone, mate. That's how fired up he gets about things in the past. And, you know, you've heard of his legendary sprays. But he's just one of those guys that is really loyal to his players and the players really want to play for him. But he's very tough on them too, you know. And, he's, you know, there's there's some non-negotiables around Craig, what he expects of you. He doesn't expect you to be a, a Greg Inglis or a Billy Slater. He just expects you to go out there every week and do your job to the best of your ability. And if you can do that, nine times out of ten, you'll be in that team every week. And um, you know, as you look at the squad that they've got these days, there's no more Billy Slaters, no more Cooper Cronks, but you know they just keep producing this um, this uh, team that comes out and they all do their job really, really well. Uh, they, he's obviously a great planner as well, whatever, and he's going to have to plan to stop Trubojevic tomorrow night, probably the hottest player in the NRL. So... Uh, how do you think he'll do that? And what are you, what's your prediction for that game tomorrow night? I mean, it's a crunch game. Well, it certainly is. And there's a bit of history there between Melbourne and, um, you know, Manly in some of the past grand finals and some of the games that they've had in the past. And, you know, the most famous one is the Battle of Brookvale. Where, um, you know, uh, Adam Blair's in there with the big punch-up with uh, um, one of the brothers when he was coming off the field there. But, you know, Tom Dragovic may have been outstanding for the Manly Sea Eagles. I don't know if you know, but I think in the I think the fourth round of the NRL competition this year, Manly were coming last. They hadn't won a game. And for them to be in the position where they are is, is absolutely fantastic. And a big part of that has been Tom Trevojevic. So I don't know if you've seen Manly and uh, Melbourne play earlier in the year, but uh, if you can nullify Tom's involvement, and that's by keeping the ball away from him, kicking up it up in the air so he doesn't get any space to move, and just shutting down his options on the outside, um, you can take that attack away from him. But 
Now, with Manly, you've got the likes of Kieran Porrin, who's back to his best ever form. He's injury-free. Got a couple other Kiwis in there, um, John Schuster, uh, and also um, Morgan Harper, one of the young uh, Kiwis playing in the centre for Manly, who's been a standout. So we've got a couple of Kiwis playing for them also in terms of that. But, you know, trying to stop Tom Trevojevic, we've seen him in State of Origin, we've seen him playing for Australia. And some of the games, I don't know if you saw the try he scored last week, it was like a 120-metre try. Uh, one of the guys from Manly brought it out from the dead ball line and Trevojevic scored up there at the end of the field. So, you know, um, Desi Hasler's a, a very wily coach. He's been around for many, many years, Desi, and, you know, he sort of will have a plan to try and stop the, the Melbourne forwards coming through the middle, so which takes a bit of the attack out, out of them. Roosters and the Titans, how do you see that one going? Yeah, well, I think the Roosters, you know, um, Peter Robinson's done a fantastic job with the Roosters. They've, they've lost so many players this year. They've had a few retirees. They've had some few guys out with injuries. But I think there was, when I last counted, there was about seven of the regular first-teamers that aren't playing in the finals this year. So, <laughs> I think the Roosters will have too much Firepower. If you look at their fullback, um, Tedesco, another great one, you know, number one player in the, in the competition, probably one of the best players in the NRL at the moment is, you know, Tedesco, James Tedesco. So trying to stop him, I think the Roosters will be too strong for the Titans. Panthers, Rabbitohs. Panthers have had a great year. Well, Panthers again, mate. You know, like last year, um, you know, one of the consistent teams anyway, you know, throughout the season, they, they, both the Panthers and the Storm played in the grand final, so um, it's going to be a tough one, I think, you know, um, what happened with um, Latrell Mitchell last week when he got uh, rubbed out for the next six matches, it's going to be a tough one. I think the Panthers will be the team to try and challenge the Storm this year, but uh, I think Wayne Bennett, you know, he's the, the Clint Eastwood of uh, rugby league, he's been around forever <laughs> and uh, don't worry, he'll have a few tricks up his sleeve on Wayne Bennett. Well, I think the, the Panthers might be just too strong through the middle of the field, and it'll be a close game, but I'm tipping the Panthers in that one. And finally, uh, the Eels and the Knights. Yeah, well, the, the Eels were the only team to beat Melbourne twice this year, and they beat them uh, a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you saw the match. I think the, the Storm might have played the, the Eels into a bit of form in that match there, because they got a bit of confidence out of that, and they'll be sky high at the moment in terms of that. So, I think on the back of that, um, my old mate David Kidwell, he's been coaching box with Brad Arthur there, both of them, both ex-Melbourne Stormers too. So um, I think the, the Eels might just be a, have a little bit um, much momentum because they're sort of coming on the back of a lot of confidence and a bit of momentum uh, to win that game over the night. Tawera, can we put your other hat on in terms of rugby league? You're a director on the board for New Zealand Rugby League. Uh, it's been a tough couple of years, of course, with COVID. Um, the, the Rugby League uh, World Cup has been <coughs> postponed. Um, so that, that's a, a bit of a shame. When do you see, can you anticipate the, the Kiwis playing at some stage uh, in the near future at all? Yeah, that's a tough one, Smithy. Like you said, most most of our players are based in Australia, or all of them, all of them are based in, in Australia. So you know, it's been a pretty challenging environment uh, for the NRL to get the NRL competition over the line this year. Yeah, and the players have been absolutely fantastic. And we look at the Warriors once again, you know, being based in Australia for the last two years, you know, in terms of that. So their commitment has been absolutely fantastic. And so, you know, test football, you know, is a challenge. Hopefully with the uh, window for State of Origin next year, we'll get to play a test match, whether it's against some of the Pacific nations. Uh, but as you know, uh, Smithy, you know, sport worldwide at the moment is, is you know, 
something uh, it's a big issue you know we've just seen recently with the all blacks to being away travel you know they're away for nearly four months i think it is you know in terms of them so you know to play a whole season the nrl and then to go and tour and play in the world cup and spend another two months away from your family and it is very challenging uh you know this is a new norm that we're operating in in terms of the sporting environment so you know having to be uh having those vaccinations having certain things done uh you know uh, trying to alleviate what happens with COVID and and they're saying there's another case that's coming out of India now in terms of another strain of uh, COVID. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But hopefully by next year, uh, in that uh, state of origin window, we might be able to get a, play a couple of test matches. Let's hope so, mate. Hey, always fantastic to catch up with you. It's been too long, actually. You're a terrific guy. Uh, look after that uh, level two down there in the, the, the Waikato. Um, and uh, look forward to catching up with you at some stage. Thanks very much for your time, Tauria. Always a pleasure. Smitty, take care too, mate. Cheers. Good on you. Tell there, folks. An absolute, an absolute standout bloke. Um, and, man, inspirational. Inspirational. What a what a role model. 9.45 fair on SENZ. Um, we've got um, multi-news when we uh, go into the 10 o'clock news. But before that, uh, I'd like to hear from you. A number of texts coming in on those rugby changes, John. You've fired everyone up there. So uh, we'll get to those shortly. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. <laughs> Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, you've poked the bear this morning, John Day, uh, with uh, that news coming through from New Zealand Rugby on rule changes, uh, rule experiments, shall we say, going into next season, particularly at the secondary school level, but a bit of club rugby as well. So just... Just enlighten us a wee bit more and I'll, I'll read out a couple of texts in response. Yeah, mate, this is just coming out this morning. New Zealand Rugby understands that in order to create quality rugby experiences for all participants, the game needs to develop to ensure it meets their needs and abilities. Improving the participants' experience is key to ensuring that rugby remains a safe, relevant and viable offering for the communities that play, coach and manage, referee and support the game. So there are 15 experimental domestic safety law variations which are being introduced next season. Eight of the 15 EDSLVs, that rolls off the tongue, doesn't it, are intended to be rolled out nationally across small blacks, secondary schools and senior club rugby, the other seven being trialled in selected competitions in consultation with the provincial union. So these are mainly going to happen in secondary school rugby. The big one is the high ball contest in secondary school rugby. Players must remain grounded when catching high balls and all tackles must be below the sternum, Smithy. Those two seem to be the biggest ones that are going to change. And in selected uh, competitions, that's like provincial rugby, tackle height trials below the waist and breakdown constraints around post-tackle contests. So looks like they want to bring down um, the tackle height, Smithy, and they don't want those mid-air collisions. OK, here's the reaction um, from a couple of people. We've got several here, and I'll read more of them um, after 10 o'clock, if time permits, but certainly thanks very much for them. Uh, Lord Smithy... God give me strength. New Zealand rugby again from their ivory tower on Molesworth Street making these woke decisions. I'm heavily involved in community rugby in Hawke's Bay. No one's consulted us here at the grassroots level. Also the poor old club referees, another 15 ways they're going to cop it from supporters each weekend. They should be trying to simplify the game, not complicate it anymore. And here we go uh, from Brian and this pretty much sums it up. Uh, Morning Ian, do you remember when Tana said to the ref, it's not tiddlywinks? Well, apparently it's heading that way, and that's from Brian. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got no 
when to hold her. Know when to fold her. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, not good yesterday at all. Uh, because the Yankees got flogged by the Blue Jays and Mahaleo was no good with Willie Pike on board last night at Belmont either. So uh, we missed out there. So we will persevere, though. And Sakari to beat Pliskova today at $2. That's the US Women's Tennis Open, of course. Uh, Djokovic is also playing Berrettini. Exciting player, Berrettini. Uh, I'm saying that there will be over 33.5 games total in the match. Uh, I think Djokovic will win, but over 33.5 games in the match. That's eighty-three. Uh, and baseball as well, the Atlanta Braves to beat the Washington Nationals at a buck forty-six. So uh, round that out, and if it's successful, you get five dollars thirty-four for every unit. Gee whiz, John it really has been passionate. Uh, this one, uh, you guys didn't couldn't see the high ball thing coming when they took away contesting the high ball. Then reds for accidental media collisions was always coming. Uh, sounds like the government initiative. Uh, is uh, not something the ex-players at the Rugby Hall headquarters would want to implement. So that's from Dwayne. So he's saying it's come from higher. Um, perhaps even, I don't know, in terms of accidents. Oh, look, really weird. More on that, but Special Olympics are straight after 10 o'clock. here on SENZ and our Paralympic athletes are in MIQ following a successful campaign in Tokyo where the Kiwis collected 12 medals including 6 golds uh, to wrap things up actually and just uh, an overall perspective on things uh, we've got the Chief Executive uh, on the line Fiona Allen, Uh, good morning to you Fiona, Uh, I understand uh, you are in MIQ as well which means you went to the Games and just how inspiring was it for you? Yes, good morning. Yes, I am in MIQ, day two today. I think it's a bit like the games where you don't actually uh, talk about the dates, you just talk about the days. Um, but if one word was to sum up um, Tokyo for me, um, and my experience uh, was the pride, uh, the respect for our Paralympians that went to Tokyo in the face of the disruption and the delays caused by COVID and the phenomenal results that we had. Um, the amazing support that we felt and saw back here in New Zealand as well, which is just incredible. Fiona, I mean, I would think it's probably one of the most rewarding jobs in all sport to to be able to administer and see how these people uh, have gone through their hardship and come out the other side of it. Uh, but also just to, to, to look at it on a world stage as well, just how inspiring was it for you to sit back and look at uh, teams and athletes from around the world? Well, firstly, I felt really fortunate to be in a position to attend the Games. And I know for so many of our athletes, their family and friends were unable to do so. So to be able to fly the New Zealand flag in an otherwise empty stadium and on occasions hear the national anthem being played and be there to support our team uh, was really important to me. Um, And uh, yet the, the, the performances in Tokyo, particularly this year, they they just the para sport is just getting more and more competitive. There's like a new generation coming through into Paralympic sport and we're witnessing just some incredible and outstanding performances from um a, a wide variety of individuals with various disabilities. And it's just so inspiring to see what people can achieve. And that's what I also love about being part of the Paralympic movement as well. 
Fiona, we, um, we kind of, I think, got better educated about Paralympics and Paralympians over the course of uh, the last 12 days. You mentioned the public support and the support from home. Uh, and this was in a stadium as well, which uh, basically, like the other Olympics, was, was empty. Um, it, quite incredible, I, I think, the way it's come out of this, the whole Paralympic movement. Yeah, it was a great opportunity, I think, for us. We came off um, the back of a really successful New Zealand Olympic Games campaign. And so I think New Zealanders were looking forward to uh, seeing more sport. And then, of course, the nation went into lockdown, um, alert level four, and that was just a day before the final team members left. So it did create some complexities with getting people on flights, etc., to even get up to Tokyo. But then um, on the ground up there, it worked really well. Uh, we had a, a really strong lens of ensuring the health and safety of our team and we were really compliant with uh, the rules that we as New Zealanders had set for ourselves up there. And, you know, I'm really thrilled as Chief Executive that we've all come back safely and that was a key goal mm. of Paralympics New Zealand for these particular games as well, of course, uh, with the excellent performances uh, that our athletes achieved. And, 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 and with that, like 97% of our Kerry Paralympians had a top eight finish at at least one event, and that was the criteria that our athletes were selected against. Just uh, on that logistical matter of, of getting home, was it tough finding MIQ spots for the whole team and, and the backup unit? We've been working really well and hard with government um, to ensure that it was very early planning with regards to the Paralympic Games team going and whether or not we could access um, MIQ slots. And of course, you know, being a part of the, the public system and ensuring that there's a lot of other New Zealanders that just want to come back to New Zealand. Um, so we're really, really grateful that we had the opportunity to, leave, one, leave the country and to have the ability to access um, MIQ. And we really feel, we all feel really fortunate um, that we had the ability to do that. We lived uh, Sophie Pascoe's ups and downs, highs and lows, um, throughout this event on a daily basis. It was quite amazing. Um, now she's got 19 medals, of course, four of those uh, at these games in particular. Um, how inspirational to the movement as a whole is she for you? And perhaps... Early days, though, do you see her perhaps in Paris in 2023? Well, so Sophie won a third of the team's 12 medals. And, and while she was already our most decorated um, Paralympian, um, she's also obviously the most successful. Um, she put it all out there this time in Tokyo. Uh, we saw her, her authenticity. We saw her rawness. She showed all New Zealanders that um, sport uh, has its ups and downs. And um, I really appreciated that about Sophie because uh, it is hard for athletes um, in high-performance sport. And I think she shared with the nation not only the ups uh, uh, but also the, the, the difficulties that our athletes face. And that's a, a testament um, to Sophie. Um, whether or not she's going to go to Tokyo, uh, Paris 2024, I guess that's for Sophie to answer. She'll be taking time now to relax um, and consider what her future goals might be um, and maybe include um, Birmingham, Commonwealth Games and also maybe um, Paris 2024. But that will be her, her fifth uh, consecutive Paralympic Games in a row then. 
Um, so certainly for her, it'll be something for her to 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 um, confirm whether she's now looking for another three years ahead into Paris. Fiona, very strong, uh, our women. Oh, we've had the good fortune of talking to uh, a couple of them since I've been home. Gosh, they're bubbly, uh, enthusiastic young women as well. So the women are very strong, so uh, the men need to step up a wee bit there. How do you see uh, the, men's the men's side of things going forward? Yeah, the women did exceptionally well um, for these games. And, um, and I think, you know, full kudos to, to each of them. Um, I guess we want to ensure that we encourage more people into para sport and, and hopefully through the performances of our female uh, Paralympians in particular, it encourages more females uh, with a disability to start to get active firstly in sport and then potentially have a pathway through into Paralympic sport. But of course, we also want to encourage uh, males to also follow that same pathway and you know, we saw the likes of William Stedman with his um, silver medal uh, winning uh, long jump and uh, bronze on the track. And, you know, hopefully he's also inspired uh, a lot of male athletes here in New Zealand as well. So, uh, but yeah, remarkable achievements by our females in sports. And because of that, of course, um, because of the gold medals, the number of medals that you've uh, brought home with you, that augurs well for funding going forward. Uh, we understand it's uh, it's on a par with uh, the uh, the other Olympic Games athletes as well, not just Paralympics. Pretty much on a par. So, uh, in that department, uh, that was a great result too. Yeah, we're third in the world for for gold medals, uh, one per capita, and uh, so that's a bronze place for us in New Zealand, and a fourth in the world for medals, uh, one uh, per capita. So that's a uh, an amazing achievement and yeah funding uh, we're really well supported from government um, to support our campaigns but we also rely on gaming and New Zealand public support to assist us um, in the future to uh, one uh, get our teams to Beijing which is now only uh, six months away Beijing 2022 Paralympic Winter Games and then to be able to support our team to Paris 2024 Paralympic Games as well um, and also create and support a generation of new para-athletes coming through um, in the system. Oh, it appears that Fiona might have dropped off there in the middle of that, that answer. Oh, sorry. Okay, keep going. Hello, can you All hear right, me? All right, Fiona. Yeah, I got you. Here's another question. Uh, um, sorry about that. The uh, TV coverage was one of the things that was perhaps panned a little bit back home. You, you of course, were able to watch it live because you were on the spot. Um, I, I would imagine uh, the more exposure you get, um, it, it reflects on uh, further participation and the desire for people to get involved. Um, and, and I think that probably was one of the downsides. Is that something you'll look at? Because it was confined... You know, quite confined, and they tended to cut away. It was like you couldn't control watching our New Zealanders at home, and that probably, if there was a downside, was it. And the Paralympic Games every two years is a really great platform um, for us to utilise to change perceptions of disability sport and inspire future generations uh, of Paralympians. And look, I appreciate that there was frustration uh, with some of the media coverage. And the reality of that was uh, CBNZ were working um, at the very hardest, uh, also in lockdown level four here in Auckland. 
um, but also reliant on the host broadcaster. And so if the host broadcaster didn't cover the event, it wasn't able to be shown here in New Zealand either. So certainly I'll be looking forward to working with, with TVNZ, uh, taking those learnings and seeing how we can work together around uh, ensuring um, really good um, coverage um, of Paralympic Games in the future. Well, Fiona, thank you so much for your time this morning. Uh, I'm not going to say enjoy MIQ, but enjoy being home. And hopefully when uh, you're out of MIQ, New Zealand is back to full normal and you can celebrate with your friends and family. What a great campaign. Congratulations on that. Thank you. And whilst I am in MIQ, I also appreciate that other Aucklanders are also in Level 4, so my thoughts are also with them too. Thank you. Yeah, very kind and... Uh, quite inspiring the job that you do with those inspiring athletes too. So 10.14 here on SENZ. Uh, John, before we go, uh, man, uh, some pretty emotive texts have come through. Uh, great to hear about the Paralympics, um, but this rugby issue as well. I have, I have been an administrator of junior rugby for 12 years, as well as a, a referee for over 30 years. I just emailed NZR just before with three words. What a joke. Uh, that's one. I have also coached junior rugby for 15 years. The hardest thing to get kids to do is to tackle low. Their biggest fear is getting knocked in the head by knees when tackling low. This is going to make matters worse than better. And their idea that smaller fields encourages more kids to touch the ball is a fallacy. Kids that actually want the ball will always get the ball. Let's just cancel all rugby and start doing ballet. Ah, oh, okay. These new rugby laws, morning smithy, new, these new rugby laws are laughable. Instead of a player leaping high to claim a kick, he will remain on the group and get totally demolished by the opposition, fully increasing injuries. Secondly, no tackling above the sternum is understandable. Um, however, a player goes to ground, and often the first thing we see is the player with the ball as an opponent arm wrapped round his throat to ensure that the ball is released. The rules are not benefiting the viewing spectacle at all. Uh, several more. We'll get to those shortly, but yep, you've fired them up. New Zealand Rugby, congratulations. Giving us some great content. It's 10.15. Sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Panel this morning consists of uh, Hayley Holt from uh, TVNZ fame, of course, and Jeff McTainch from Sky Sport, and uh, a mixed array of subjects to talk about this morning. Uh, Hayley, first of all, uh, uh, MIQ is now being populated by our Paralympians. Uh, they're all home now and a really successful campaign. But if we look at the Olympics and the Paralympics, what a powerful time for women's sport it's been. I know it's so, so amazing to see all our, our women out there um, at the top of their game. I don't know quite what has caused this, but I kind of can only take guesses, of course. can only assume that this is kind of a result of women's sport being taken seriously as, a, as an entity's own right rather than the also-ran after the men. And I also, I don't know whether in New Zealand, you know, we have this myth of the pioneering about pioneering, pioneering women ancestors. And I don't know, I guess maybe that's more than a myth. Maybe it's true. Maybe our women are strong compared to the rest of the world. Who knows? Well, the other thing that gets me about it is that every time you ring one, they always want to talk to you. Every time you, you speak to them in an interview situation, it's so bubbly, so effervescent about the whole thing. Um, 
it's a breath of fresh air sometimes, to be perfectly honest, Hayley, when dealing with some of our men folk. I, I agree. I wonder if our men have been trained out of being honest and authentic when they reply to questions. You know, they're sort of maybe coming with, with a little bit of, um, not paranoia, but, you know, they're, sort of, they're wary about what these people are asking them and so they want to be careful and not say the wrong thing. But I feel like women are maybe more confident at that age in how they feel and also they don't have that pressure that big you know men's sport has a lot of pressure on them a lot of sponsorship yeah well that's true I guess and I think you make a valid point about being coached away from being anything other than the party line I think there's something in that uh, Jeff McTainch of course uh, from Sky Television is with us this morning uh, calls a lot of uh, rugby uh, and you might be about to again. Have you had any whispers, Jeff, about uh, when it's going to start, how it's going to be, uh, how it's going ahead without uh, the Auckland-based teams as such? Oh, morning, Smithy. Morning, Haley, uh, and listeners. Uh, yeah, it's well. Hopefully, we get some more footy soon, mate. Um, I'm hearing that uh, we might be playing rugby uh, or teams outside of uh, the Auckland region uh, will be playing some sort of a competition with uh, North Harbour and, and Auckland. Uh, this is the Bunnings, uh, Bunnings Cup to, to be added later. Um, and, and I know New Zealand Rugby are looking at um, designs around the FPC and, and what that might look like as well. But um, no, I sent a text yesterday to the boss just to ask what was going on. But um, I think they're still over the next sort of 24, 48 hours trying to figure that out. But hopefully um, I get the feeling that we might have some rugby of some kind next week um, somewhere around the country. <laughs> Jeff, um one of the big stories yesterday, and uh, I'll get you to comment on this too, Haley, as well. But Jeff, uh, initially was uh, the mooting of a 12s rugby tournament along the same lines as the IPL. In other words, uh, the players make a lot of money in a very short space of time, which for them, of course, is absolutely ideal. Do you see it as a goer? Well, again, it's it's one of those innovations, isn't it, mate? That uh, that has come up. We've seen it with tens in the past, obviously. Um, you know, league have tried it with the nines, but look, I was reading the article yesterday and saw Steve Hansen's comments. I think there is merit to it. Um, you know, the game has to innovate, has to change. I know we're going to talk about the rules of the game at some point soon too, but um, they have to do something to to attract uh, more more eyeballs um, so that the game can stay healthy. And and look, we. We talk about players taking sabbaticals. Well, well, maybe if we can work this into some sort of an international calendar uh, where these players are able to go, there are eyeballs, they all get um, the paycheck that they're after and, and, and that time to play with the top players, then they go back. Maybe that's a cleaner, uh, more effective way of, of, uh, of allowing players to, I guess, exercise a bit of that um, you know, sabbatical type thing and and go and make a bit of extra cash. So I don't think it's a bad idea. I like the idea of 12s, um, and I do like the changes uh, that they are looking at for the rules, i.e. Uh, if, if you win a scrum penalty, you can't kick for goal, you have to kick for the corner. So it kind of it makes the game a little bit more exciting and, and I, I suppose speeds it up and makes it more attractive for the viewer. Hayley, when you look at a game of rugby, um, do you find it confusing? Do you find it a good look at the moment? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't even know if the people who are calling the game know exactly what's going on. It's so confusing. 
you pretty much just have to wait and see uh, if the score comes up, and then you know, yeah, like, yeah, my team's got a, my team's on the board. But I mean, it's I watch it because I enjoy the athleticism and the physicality of it, but I don't understand what exactly is always going on um, in the breakdown, so, and it is confusing. So I would definitely um, encourage simplifying the game. I don't know if making a whole new game, new tournament is the answer because would that just take away from rugby? Like, don't they need to fix rugby itself rather than come in with a whole new tournament and just sort of more confusion confusion uh, added with different rules for this tournament, different rules for Super Rugby, who knows, with international rugby. It, it is a very confusing environment at the moment and I think that is why people are turning away. Hayley, um, I'm not sure whether you've had a chance to read the press release on this one yet, but uh, New Zealand Rugby have released a whole new set of rules that they're going to experiment with, uh, particularly at age group level through to club level, including uh, no competition for the ball in the, you know, in the air anymore. Tackling must be above sternum height, um, and, and sorry, below sternum height, sorry, uh, as opposed to above, below yeah. sternum height for safety reasons. Um, in terms of scrums, what they're going to do is you have one reset and then um, that's the end of that. Uh, you go to golden oldie tight scrums. Uh, now, I'm not quite sure. We've had a, a barrage of texts anti this. What are your initial thoughts on that? Oh, man, it's hard. And my initial thoughts are if you're changing rules for player safety, that's got to be a good thing. There are lots of injuries that we do get to our young players, head injuries, um, etc. And so that's got to be a good thing, of saving these young players' brains, basically. And I and mm. you can't be upset with that. I don't know. I guess I'm for it. Okay. That's, that's okay. Um, okay. I, I like that. Uh, Jeff, what, what about you? Yes, Smithy, I agree with Hayley. I think any way that uh, New Zealand rugby or, you know, um, can make the game safer for players is, is absolutely got to be a good thing. And you also have to remember that um, rugby is competing with so many other sports these days. I think if you talk to, you know, 10 parents um, about what they want to get their kids into at a young age, I would, I would I think you'd struggle to find most would say rugby because of the fact that um, it is a contact sport and, and we've seen um, the damage that uh, the game can do um, to, to young people. So if we can make it safer, more attractive for participation purposes, that's got to be a good thing for New Zealand rugby. But just on the wider um, program that they're going with there, like Wayne Smithson behind that too, I read the release this morning. And so you've got a, a guy like that, uh, a rugby brain now of a Wayne Smith, um, you know, giving his advice on it, um, that, that, that's got to be a good thing as well. But just on the wider um, subject of it, look, I think if we look at the Geordie Barrett example from that Bledisloe Cup test in Perth, I, I think absolutely the right call was made there. And it was great to see that Brad Moore and they went in with a couple of biomechanists and, 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 and got some clarity around it because nothing that Geordie did there um, was of uh, malicious intent um, or reckless in that matter. He was, he was going up, he mistimed his jump slightly and he got um, Erika Corabetti in the face. Um, but I think interpretation around the law is a key thing and we need, if there is one thing that you know, we need to improve on in the game, it, it's clarity around interpretation and transparency around what that is. And in general around the rules, I think the 16th person um, 
or, or the, the other person on the field at the time, uh, the, the 31st person, I should say, on the park at the time, needs to have a bit of a bit of say. The referee's not going to catch everything. And, and you look at the dark arts in rugby, that's all part of it. So we, we can't get every call right. And I think if we try and get everything right in the game, it's going to slow the game down and it's going to ruin it for the viewer. So uh, the, the referee needs a little bit of leeway, but I think they absolutely need across-the-board clarity around interpretation and what the rules are. Great stuff, Jeff. Uh, please stay with us, and you too, Haley, if you can. Uh, I'd like to your opinion on a couple of other issues. Uh, one, of course, uh, is MIQ priority, and should our athletes overseas uh, get priority? Can they jump the queue? Um, I'll ask you your opinion on those matters uh, very shortly. It's uh, 10.31, and it's news time with Trudy. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Hayley Holt has been good enough to join us this morning, as too has uh, Jeff McTainch. Hayley from uh, TVNZ, of course. Uh, you can see her reading the news at night time, the sports news, and Jeff McTainch, uh, you'll hear his voice uh, commentating rugby very shortly, we hope. But, uh, Jeff, just before we finish on the rugby subject, so then, you know, Geordie Barrett gets uh, removed. So that was the right, um, the right call. And then uh, the judiciary turned around uh, on the back of a really big and concerted effort from the All Blacks, turned around and exonerate Geordie Barrett from any further punishment. How did the refereeing group feel about that? Well, I know that the referees um, have been applauded for for, for, for their uh, for their call on field, the, the team there. Um, so I know the judiciary uh, thought at the time that they'd made the right call based on the information and, uh, and I guess, as, as we talked about, the interpretation of contact to the head. But it's, a, it's an example of, I think, common sense prevailing, and we don't always see that in the game of rugby, do we, it, uh, when it gets to the judicial panel. Um, Nabura, the uh, Highlanders uh, outside back uh, a few years ago, uh, I, I think he copped about a six-week suspension for a very similar um, incident on the field. His foot came out and he, he, he copped a New South Wales Waratahs player in the face. So we've come from a, a situation where a guy got six weeks to a guy in a test match in Geordie Barrett, um, you know, putting a good case forward. And I think that's something to remember as well. These players, they don't always put their, their teams, the legal teams behind them through fear of um, reprimand or, or um, you know, further sanctions. So I think it was a brave move. And I think on the referees front, they made the right call. But going back to that interpretation and clarity, hopefully um, we can get more of that from this case. Hayley, a moral issue is uh, sort of cropping up. I think it's been sitting there for a while, but it's just starting to come to the surface now. We had um, a, a couple of people on, particularly yesterday, um, pleading the case for uh, our individual athletes uh, who are doing their own thing in things like triathlon, golf, etc., um, not being able to get home. Uh, what's your view on on uh, jumping the queue in MIQ? Well, I can appreciate their frustration because this is um, their trade, I suppose. They're trying to try to apply their trade overseas and they can't get home. But I just don't think that it's only athletes and our sports stars who are struggling with this. There are so many people who aren't public-facing, who don't have the opportunity to talk to the media about how they're struggling, how they can't get home. I know I've got a, a family member myself who has been trying to get home for a few months now and probably looking like they won't be home before Christmas. But because they're not public-facing, they don't really get a chance to complain about it. They just have to wait. And so I feel like it is frustrating 
but we are all in this together and everybody not just sports people are struggling with this MIQ system and really you're just going to have to you really just have to suck it up and lump it I think Jeff do you, you uh, agree with that? Oh, I, I don't agree with that I think that um, when you look at the MIQ situation at the moment as it stands um, and, and we take examples of, of Braden Carey for example New Zealand triathlete um, he had to make a call just before New Zealand went into lockdown whether he was going to go overseas to effectively keep his career alive. If he didn't go, um, that would be the end of his career. And so his wife, Sally Carey, who's also his manager, uh, wrote an open pen letter to, um, to Grant Robinson um, because they had a situation where Braden, after he'd competed, could have come back uh, on the exact same itinerary as one of his um, travelling colleagues and shared an MIQ space together, but they said no. So um, Sally wrote to Grant and was just seeking a bit of clarity around that. Um, and you know, Ryan Fox, I know he's talked about it as well. Uh, he, he has to obviously make a living on the European golf tour. He's got to try and keep his tour card. He doesn't play, he doesn't get paid, and essentially he could be out in the woods too um, with, with his career. So um, I think... There's two things here. You've got people overseas that are wanting to come home. Um, New Zealanders that aren't athletes, they want to come home and have a space. You've got athletes that want to isolate at home if they've got some sort of a vaccine passport. Um, and Ryan himself said, look, we know the rules. We know the risk if we break them. It's, it's, it's game over for us. So um, I think it might not be a bad idea. You've got the All Blacks getting um, exemptions to go overseas to play rugby. Um, and Sally's point too in the letter she penned to Grant was, if it's one rule for one, why is it uh, different for, uh, for another? So I can see uh, where athletes are coming from. And we also want, as, as general public, um, we, we don't mind watching them, do, uh, do we, uh, compete on the biggest stage? We've just seen it uh, with the Olympic Games as well. So you can understand the frustration. And I think if we can strike a balance, it might not be a bad thing to open up a bit more space. Jeff McTainch, uh, thanks for your thoughts this morning. Hayley Holt as well. Uh, thank you so much for, for being part of the show and uh, your input as well. It's, uh, it's great to hear those opinions. Don't, don't always agree. We don't always agree. Uh, and that is the idea of the panel itself. It's 10.38 here on SCNZ. Uh, your calls and texts, uh, the texts in particular, are rolling in about these rugby law changes. So if you want to add your weight behind it, uh, 8833 is the text number. 0800 150 811 is the phone number. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.44 here on SENZ. Uh, it's prompted a lot of texts. This uh, rule changes, or the mooted rule changes at a junior level. It's also prompted Jeff the Ref to call in this morning. Uh, very pleased to have you on the show. Jeff, uh, what's your initial impression uh, about these uh, yeah. uh, this tinkering this time around? Yeah, good morning, Jeff. Um, Smithy, I love the show, buddy. Uh, Thank you. you know, I'll just give you a wee bit of, bit of background for a start. I've been involved active referee for about 25 years. I started when I was about 35, I'm now 60, and uh, it's the best seat in the house. But i tell you a wee story before we get into the rules. That Dave Bishop came to look at me 20 years ago and he said, Smithy, you referee the, the letter of the law, the rules right, but you bugger the game. So he said, see that law book, throw it away, and get out there and referee, let the players play rugby. So that was bloody good advice from Dave Bishop, really, Smitty. Yeah. Uh, 
the tackle. <laughs> and yeah, he's there right, isn't he? You get some referees that want to be number one on the field and someone to be number 31. And I'm, I'm one of those guys that want to be 31 every Saturday if I can. Yeah, uh, the rules, the tackle. Yeah, like I, I'm an old school, you know, plus at the age of five and we got the technique right time we get got to high school but I just but yeah but this new rule they got to have, it'll make it easier for us referees if obviously it's below the hips you know bootlaces to the hips but we've got to be taught how to tackle properly right through the age groups you know and I'm not sure a ripper is the, the key to it really but because some of the kids are a wee bit soft and when they got to go from ripper to tackle a lot that you know struggle with their smithy, but um, yeah, what, what's the other one? The high ball, I'm going to talk yeah, about the high, the high ball, ball is, is very contentious as well. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But here's one for me, yep. Jeff. Uh, when you look at this, right? Uh, I, I look at why people are tackling higher these days and and probably more dangerous regions it's the offload. Uh, it, uh, people are trying to stop the offload, and that's because players have become uh, a good deal more. Uh, capable of offloading in various situations. Sonny Bill Williams may have been the forerunner to this. The ability to offload, which has to be stopped because that stops the momentum of attack. Uh, if you're only allowed yep. to tackle below the waist, offload's just a free licence, surely. Yeah, it's just getting the technique right from you know those young grades till they get into maybe up into that secretary school. You know, tackle from the bootlaces and work your way up. But you know, if you've got to go low and you haven't got the technique, that's where the with injuries occurring at the age group stuff, I see it, you know, being the best thing in the house. I just see a lot of the technique, even, I know why they want to wrap it up, you know, stop that offload. And I, but early age, you know, a ripper doesn't really teach them that. And they're quite tentative when they go to tackle and get it wrong. You know, so, but it comes back to coaching. And, um, you know, they've taken away ball rush, obviously, at school. We, you know, we, we, we learnt to bloody scrag and, and harden up a bit, but the kids are, tend to be a lot softer coming through at the early age. But but that, that getting that technique right, you know, from five years up, and, and then when I get to obviously secondary school, then they've got to learn to wrap the player up, you know. But it's a big, big hard when you've got a big, you know, Tommy and Simone boy running at you. You've got to go low, you know. That's you know that's one thing. Well, I was the smallest on the field, but I could drop anybody that was you know eighty to hundred kgs and six foot. Because I've got them around the bootlaces, so we haven't got the ability to get you know wrap them up. Because um, you look yep. at some of those age group tournaments, you know. Oh, look, I totally agree with you, Jeff. And thanks very much for taking the time to call in as well. I know you're a regular show listener, and uh, you uh, you uh, contribute a lot via text as well. So thanks very much for that. Interesting points from a refereeing point of view. Uh, it's, it's quite an emotive issue. Uh, what about uh, the, the safety issue? A fullback or a winger waiting for a high ball, the other winger running at full speed, smashed him. And I can see that happening uh, if he's stationary, just standing under a high ball and waiting. Uh, you can't, as a defender, you, can't, uh, you cannot run in front of him to protect him. You can't change your line. Um, he's just really open. So then I, I see just as many injuries from that as uh, players uh, in the air, to be perfectly honest. Very vulnerable they would be there. Um, Dave from Karaka says, I wonder if these people that make these decisions ever consult the players, the referees and the people involved in the game about their decisions. Obviously not, otherwise they wouldn't have jobs. Uh, I heard this all before, says Pete. Uh, head in the sand, doomsday stuff 
It's uh, when they, they try to change, they change the try, sorry, from three to four and then to five, lifting in the lineouts, new scrum laws. It's called Darwinism. Adapt and change or die. In our day, no one tackled above the waist. Forwards were banned from the back line. Get your horse and cart out, says Pete. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, very good. Uh, Jim from Tamuka says, uh, all the, with all the game changes and law changes, what effect is it going to have on getting young people to become referees? Valid point, because uh, earlier in the day I read one out about the, the fact that there's just another 15 or so reasons for people to abuse referees from the sideline, coaches and spectators. Um, because uh, it's 15 more things they have to police. So right in that respect. Uh, it's 10.49 here on SENZ. He's the voice of sport in New Zealand. Superman! Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. <laughs> And it is good morning again to Louis Herman Watt and his uh, favourite slot here as we talk uh, about things racing. Uh, yesterday, of course, they did race at Taupo. Uh, the weather was a bit changeable, it's fair to say, but we did see a couple of really uh, impressive performances. Before racing proper got underway, there was a trial featuring call sign Mav. How strong? How strong, Louis? Yeah, yeah, super. And Johnny Barry knows what he's up to, right? He's, call sign Mav is coming into the Tarzino fresh and with a good little hit out there. I remember when Coolsign Mav won last year. I had a, oh, I just had stacks on Avantage in the futures market, and it just killed me. But then I just went back and watched that race. I made myself do it, and I just had nothing but admiration for the way Coolsign Mav just punk, pinged off the corner. But then it was his preparation that continued to impress. He's a proper Group One horse, and John Barry's a good Hawks Bay trainer. Well, he's he's local, isn't he? How far away is he from? Where's he based out of Smithy? Well, he's uh, just south of uh, Havelock North, so probably about 5K. He's got his own beautiful setup down there um, with his own personal training track, etc. So very professionally done. And, uh, of course, he's, he'll be the first one to tell you the number of Group 1 races that he's won over the years uh, with some fairly talented horses. And, of course, this horse uh, is destined all going well for the Cox Plate. And uh, John just got beaten by Pinka Pinka. I always, uh, if he's starting to get to me in the pub, I just say that, that to him, Louis, Pinka. Pinker, and that upsets him for another half an hour. So that's cool. But that, that was impressive, cool sign Mav yesterday. Uh, also, uh, we've seen Alligator. Um, we've seen Elephant. And uh, yesterday we saw good things out of Rhinoceros with the New Zealand collect- Connection. Oh, super. Absolutely super. By the way, if you want to have a nibble at cool sign Mav in the Cox Plate, you're getting $81 yep. at the TAB. Oh. You're getting 81s. Uh, yes, Rhinoceros is a proper galloper. They're pointing that towards the Derby, I believe. David Brown over there with his team, Elephant. Um, the Bifrost over there as well. They're doing some super work. Speaking of uh, Melbourne, actually on Saturday at Flemington, Smithy, there is some proper Kiwi racing or Kiwi horses racing across the card. We've got Aegon in the Maccabi Diva Group 1. Um, and look, Aegon stayed over there. The plan was initially to come back, but I think they are, the Baker Forsman camp and connections are pretty happy with the way it came through his first up assignment. In the last race, we've actually got a horse, Defibrillate, which Graham Rogers, uh, 
Graham Richardson uh, used to train and kind of still does by proxy through Paddy Payne over there. Baz has got a share in that. And we've got a young juvenile, Tutakaka, that Tony Pike has got. Now, this is one of those cult syndicates. It's going up against Artorias. It's a three-year-old now. Damian Lane gets on. It's at $14 and $3.40. Look, I think Artorias wins this race. This is race two at Flemington. It's a, he's a proper cult. But Tutakaka at $14 and $3.30 for a bit of a Kiwi connection could be worth the each-way spec. Thanks, Louis. As always, thanks very much for your input there. Valuable stuff. Might make a buck out of it. Certainly we had a chance to make a buck uh, today with plenty still going on. Paul Moati from the TAB joins us right now, getting to the business end of the, the US Open. Uh, Djokovic, amazingly hot favourite, and so he should be, Paul, but there's still value to be had. Oh, it certainly is, and I see you've included another one of the women's singles matches in your multi today, uh, and you're sticking with the uh, the Greek athlete, Maria Sakari. She is, she's now, uh, drift, I think she was slight favourite before, she's now drifted, she's now $1.92 to beat uh, Karolina Pliskova, who's now $1.83. Um, so I think that match due to start in the next half an hour or so, uh, so if you just want to get on Smitty's Multi, you don't have too much time left. We've also got a racing bonus back promotion and the first two races at the Cambridge Greyhounds today. The first race there starts at 12.15 and there is a red hot favourite in race one at the Cambridge Greyhounds. Out of the Karen Walsh Kennel, number two, Thrilling Sniper, currently a $1.50 fixed. Okay, Paul, absolutely Fantastic. I think that's good value, actually. Good value if you want to put into a multi. Thrilling sniper at the dogs today. Hmm. Uh, here's another thing. NewZealandRugby.co.nz, folks. NewZealandRugby.co.nz. That's where you'll find all the details about these rule changes and the justification as to why they're changing them as well. Might be a good read during lockdown time. Uh, might change your mind. It might not. At the moment, uh, pretty much one-way traffic. Anti those changes. We shall see. Day or night, summer or winter, he's the sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Power bombs dropping onto the park. Flares dropping as well from... Are they coming from the sky or coming out of the crowd? Well, I think it's six of one and a half dozen the other. Some of the flares have come uh, from the number three stand, but others have been dropped from the plane that's uh, flying round. Gary Knight was struck by a flower bomb and it knocked him over. He's just got to his feet again and you can see Gary Knight was struck by a flower bomb dropped from the plane. Now I guess that would be a tremendous thump. It's, this is, is really unreal. I, I just... Uh, words can't describe my feelings at this point about this game. You see the field is scarred. There are papers being dropped from the plane, plane in the background and now a player has been hit by one of the bombs. Well, bizarre, wasn't it? Um, can you believe it, though? It was 40 years ago since that flower bomb test uh, on Sunday. This Sunday will mark the anniversary of that. 40 years, uh, the test between the All Blacks and the Springboks. Yes, when Gary Knight was felled by a flower bomb, uh, Alan Houston kicking a late penalty, the All Blacks winning 25-22. Now, starting at halfback that day was All Black number 791, Dave Trapper-Loveridge, and it's a great honour for me to welcome him to the show this morning. Uh, Trapper, how are you these days? All right? I'm not too bad. Yourself? Yep. Tracking along pretty well. Can you remember Can you remember 40 years ago? Does it seem that long ago? 
Well, I'm a bit annoyed that you actually said it was 40 years ago because, you know, that makes me a hell of a lot older than, than when I played. But, yeah, yeah definitely, I, I still remember it, yeah. Um, but I didn't, I didn't actually yeah. see Huey's kick from the, um, the, the, the shot he put over at the end because I was lying on the... I got concussed um, trying to tackle Ray Mort and um, I got concussed and taken off. So um, I didn't actually see the kick, but I heard the crowd. Uh, it was uh, one of the most staggering memories, I think, of, of New Zealand sport. It's, it's such a vivid thing, I mean, to, to see a plane flying over at that level, over a packed stadium, uh, and all that stuff, that peripheral stuff going on. Just how hard was it to focus, can, you know, on, on the game itself? Well, yes, it was. And I've I, I told a lot of people, actually, that um, the line-outs were the worst ones because you'd be looking at the line-out where the ball was coming from and all of a sudden the plane would appear. <laughs> well, we're going to catch the ball or the plane or, or a flower bomb. But thank, thank God Axel done that or tried to anyway. But, um, yeah, it was a bit uh, obviously pretty disruptive. Is, is that still the ultimate uh, clash for the All Blacks in your mind? Uh, it's going to be a big test coming up, then, uh, the All Blacks playing the Springboks very shortly, but uh, in your playing time, was that the ultimate test match, the Springboks? Well, I think it was, you know, for players and that, because obviously um, none of us had um, played them, um, you know, when we were playing and that, and um, obviously, as it is now, I think, you know, with the All Blacks and South Africa, uh, one and two in the world, um, you know, to play against, you know, the, the, the top teams and that um, was obviously a big challenge and, and, and a big moment. So uh, this is the 100th Test match. We've had some great history over the years. Uh, how would you, if you look at New Zealand now and you've, you've seen the Springboks up against the Lions perhaps uh, and then, of course, uh, they accounted pretty easily for Argentina, how would you assess that match-up as we look to go into it? Well, I think, you know, um, you know, New Zealand or well, the All Blacks have got to try and match them, um, you know, up front, obviously. Um, South Africa have always had a big, strong, you know, aggressive pack. Um, and, uh, you know, big men always have, always have had. And um, that's, I think, you know, that's one area, well, a big area where um, the All Blacks have to um, match them and that. And, uh, you know, like scrum time and, and uh, you know, ball carrying and all that sort of stuff. So that's going to be a huge challenge, I think. And, um you know, with the build-up that um, the All Blacks have had against Australia. Um, obviously, I don't think that um, the Australian pack would, you know, obviously be as um, brutal and, and, and as strong as, as the South Africans. So that's going to be a huge challenge, uh, and we've got to match them, if not better than Dave Loveridge, as we look at our All Black halfback stocks at the moment, uh, we appear to have uh, most bases covered. If you look at Aaron Smith, TJ Peranara, Brad Webber and of course Finlay Christie who uh, at this stage is four but uh, he'd make a lot of international sides around the world. Uh, how do you assess our, our, our stocks? Uh, have they been stronger? Well probably probably not when you say you, you name four and I, and I agree with you on the four of those players and that and um, you know with Aaron Smith he's obviously been he's probably number one in the world at the moment um, and has been for a while. Um, his, you know, his game has um, has been, you know, outstanding, and that obviously a hundred Test matches, and that, uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a hell of a lot of uh, Test matches to play, and he's, you know, he's way up there. And then when you have Perinara and 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 Weber, um, two other two other halfbacks that have, you know, got a lot of experience, um, and um, you know, their skills and that uh, are right up there. And now with um, Finley Christie and that, um, the young fellow, in, in fact, uh, I think he's from Scottish. Uh, same as same as me actually, uh, Smithy. But um, 
he uh, you know he he looks to uh, have the goods anyway, and um, be good to see some younger you know younger halfbacks coming on, which um, you know that um, with four of them there, it's, it, it makes it a you know a good uh, good situation to be in. Because the the role is, uh, the role has changed, uh, particularly when it comes to to breakdown time. That the stronger of the halfbacks tend to be so effective in that area, which is which is you know because they're often one of the first players there, it's, it's quite vital, isn't it? So you look at a guy like Perinara, who's probably stronger over the ball than an Aaron Smith or a Brad Weber, uh, he might be a, a, a better option against a more physical pack in that regard. Yeah, I think, you know, from that point of view, um, though, but I think, you know, what, what um, Aaron Smith gives you is that, is that speed and accuracy of, um, of his pass, and that, um, you know, I don't think he's... He doesn't throw too many bad passes in a game that I've seen, and that, and it's always accurate um, with speed, and um, you know a good good controller of the game. Um, it, yeah, and so so is TJ and that, but um, I think that's where Aaron Smith stands out. You know, with his pass and that, it's just so accurate and so so quick. Um, but you know, uh, I think you know depending on what type of game you know the All Blacks want to play in that, um, I think you know we've obviously got to match them up front. But then we still have to have that quick clearance of the ball and, and the accuracy there too, which Aaron Smith does does give. But uh, I think you know, for me, if any one of those um, halfbacks or top three anyway were, were playing in that, I think um, we, we'd still be reasonably well off. Dave, when uh, we look at rugby these days, a lot of people seem to be quite confused about the rules and and, and what is happening on the park and why it's such a stop-start sort of nature to the game. Uh, does it disappoint you that it's lost some of its momentum because of the number of rules and the way it's adjudicated? Well, uh, yeah, it, it has for me personally, and, and a number of um, ex-players and, and people too. You know, I think that um, you know, there's, if, you, if you're talking about halfbacks, you know, one thing that um, I, uh, that I don't agree with is that um, you know, when the ball's out, um, you can't come round till the halfback actually lifts the ball. And so what that does is, um, and, and the reason they don't do that is to get their players in position and, you know, so they can um, start another phase. But it also gives the defensive line uh, more time to then, um, what I call it, uh, you know, you've got to try and run through a brick wall. And um, it's it, that, that part slowed the game down, not the halfbacks, just the way it's ruled. Um, and so I think that, you know, that um, if we could get some way of, of um, committing more People to the breakdown or the old ruck in the old days, um, mm-hmm. then that would um, hopefully you know create a bit more space out wide and, and instead of the you know, the crash fashion, as I said, trying to um, feed off to a player and then run through another wall and and, and so on. So um, that is one area of the game. I think you know I don't know what the answer is, but um, that needs to be looked at. Um, and and you're also then talking about player welfare, which is you know um, what we hear about a lot these days, and that trying to look after the players and that, but. We certainly, uh, with the way the game's been played now, there's a lot more collisions, and they're big men too. So, um, you know, the, the the power of the of the collisions is is um, you know quite um, phenomenal. Yeah, one of the other issues that tends to get up people's nose a wee bit is the reset scrums. Uh, was that a problem back in your day? And, and if it, if it wasn't, why wasn't it? it did, were the props more dominant and, and given more of a free reign to to work the scrums out? Well, I think, you know, in, in, in our day, the, the, you had a scrum and that, and within about 10 seconds, a scrum, the ball was in there and gone just about, but, and, the, and the scrums went straight down. But obviously, with looking after player welfare, there was a lot, there was a lot of injuries at uh, lower level, 
um, especially, um, you know, from scrums, um, you know, guys getting badly injured. And uh, so that part of the game is, is um, you know, there's, there's not so many injuries there now, but it does take a lot of time and it slows the game down um, a lot. But, you know, I think you've got to try and balance the, the player welfare and the speed of the game. And um, at the moment, obviously, um, it does. That, that is one area that I think that, you know, the game needs to look at. Uh, you know, speeding the game up and, and not um, having, you know, a couple of resets and then a penalty and that and you've spent probably a minute or over a minute, you know, um, after a knock-on or whatever um, and then all of a sudden you get a penalty and then it's um, kick the touch and then we get the driving more. The other thing which you'd have been part of too, of course, is the box kick, uh, you know, from the base of a scrum or the base of a ruck or whatever and then you'd ask your, your, your wingers or whoever to go and chase the, the, the thing. It's now become a very contentious thing and we saw a sending off, well, we've seen more than one actually, sending off as a result of that high ball type collision area. Um, wh- what mm-hmm. do you make of that and was, was it an issue back in your day as well? Well no, well I don't, you know, there might have been a few guys um, taken in the air but I, I, I don't think there was too many injuries, um, you know, I, I, I hadn't got the stats and that uh, to say that, David, you know, how many there were but uh, Certainly, it's one area of the game too. I think that you know could kind of speed up a wee bit where you see the halfbacks, and it's no fault of the halfbacks. I think um, you know going around the side of a ruck, rucking it back with their foot, and then putting their hands on it, and then box kicking that. It's quite, um, in my mind, I call it a bit robotic. But I'm not, I'm not blaming the the, the actual halfbacks. Do it very, very well. Their box kicks are good, and and then you know the pressure is on the the um, players we seen the other day to take the ball in the air. Um, I think um, I don't know what uh, whether they you know will look at you know whether you can't jump for the ball. Or, I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, certainly um, that episode we had uh, last week was um, you know a, a clear case of uh, you know uh, the box kick, the pressure on them, um, and then you know I think what they've got to do is probably you know obviously wait. Obviously, and the the law is that you've got to wait for them to hit the ground and then and then and then tackle but um when you've got guys moving at uh you know quite quite a lot of speed and that it's uh, pretty hard when you're going forward to actually stop mid-air and um or you know when you're running up uh am i going to get there in time or and and to get your timing right basically so it's 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 mm. um it is an issue and um i think you know i, I don't know how they're going to solve it but um whether they go to uh, you know player can't jump for the ball in the air or whatever, I don't know. But um, certainly is an issue at the moment. Yeah, um, they're looking at that actually as we speak at a junior level. So uh, they'll experiment yeah. there and maybe they will implement it, see how it goes. Uh, Dave, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, provincial rugby for a minute or two. Uh, how uh, Taranaki uh, looks like they'll be getting some rugby as early as next weekend because of this uh, dreaded virus. But uh, how about Taranaki's fortunes over the last uh, few years? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm um, you know, I've been living in Wellington now for 17 years, so um, I, don't, I don't see a lot of games. But I did go up and watch the um, the, the, the great victory over Hawke's Bay. I should have hate, uh, sorry to mention that, uh, Smitty, but um, you know, the, at Pukekura Park, which uh, you would have, um, you know, been on a, a few times in your in your in your career. Um, but it was mm. it was actually um, a great uh, occasion to go to, to be honest, because. Um, I um, well, I played a bit of cricket there, and actually done a bit of athletics when I was at secondary school there, and um, never played a game of rugby there. I don't think a game's been played there for what, what sixty or seventy years or something like that, but um, or more more than that. But um, 
it was um, a great occasion um, and great viewing. Um, obviously, a smaller crowd. I think it was about four and a half thousand there, but uh, certainly um, Taranaki. Uh, yes, uh, you know they've, they've got some good players there. I think they'll, they'll do all right this year. Um, and now, with you know, obviously with the COVID uh, thing and the and the you know the games having not played uh, been played uh, over the last couple of two or three weeks, um, you know, it's uh, put a bit of a damper on it. But um, certainly, I think Taranaki have got um, you know they've got a pretty good squad there and. Um, they look as if uh, they could be very competitive, right, no matter who they're playing. Those Taranaki Rugby Union uh, reunions would be good, though, wouldn't they, with your, all your old mates? They'd be uh, they'd well, share some great stories over a pint then. Well, we did, actually, when I went up. Because the reason I went up, because I'd never seen a game of rugby at Pukekura Park, uh, you know, two or three weeks ago, and um, I, you know, me old mate, and you'd know him, me and Snook, uh, he just lives, uh, I don't know whether he's listening or not today, but uh, he was... Uh, his house just looks over the um, western end uh, of the of the park, and um, I could see I was sitting at the other end, and um, I could see he had a, quite a few mates there, and that and he was sitting out on the deck watching the game, and that and wonder why I hadn't been invited. So I rang him, and um, he said, "Where are you?" And I waved out to him, and he and he seen me. So um, I went over and actually had a couple of lemonades with him afterwards with um, Ellie Jordan and uh, a few of the other oh. boys that I played a bit of cricket with. So it was a great day. Excellent, uh, Trevor. Hey, fantastic for making some time for us this morning. Always great to, to catch up with yourself. Um, great to hear your views too on, on the game as it stands at the moment, particularly our halfback situation. I agree, it's, uh, it's very strong. And uh, I think they have uh, the players like yourself to thank for it because uh, you left them a, a fine legacy. Uh, great chatting to you, mate. Thank you very much. I got it. Uh, pleasure and take care and um, keep, keep doing your daily walk. Yeah, I'll be doing that. Good on you. I might. I, I, do, I walk around the Oriental Bay sometimes. I might pop it, uh, bump into you maybe. Okay, yeah, and I've been doing my 40, 45 to an hour walk each day. So, um, you know, we'll um, wander down and catch up with you again. I think it's been a while since we actually um, caught up, uh, to be honest. Yep, it? yep. We, we definitely need to, mate. We definitely need to. I'd love to hear about Ian Snook and Ali Jordan as well. So, um, yeah, thank you. Thank you again. Hey, by the way. <laughs> Cheers. Dave Loveridge there, um, fantastic. The man they call Trapper, one of uh, the originally very best halfbacks in New Zealand. He's right, our stocks are very high at the moment, but my goodness, uh, what a halfback he was at the base of Taranaki packs and all black packs, uh, of course. 11.19 here on SCNZ. Uh, still to come this hour, it's uh, pacing for purpose. Harness Racing will give you our tip. We were successful last week. We've been given another tip for tomorrow night at the Addington Trots uh, we'll let you know that one uh, and of course uh, uh, in about 10 minutes time we will ask for calls for Stumped for Smithy, not yet, in about 10 minutes time. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ Get Nasser on the phone, he is in another orbit Lazarus does it again SENZ is pacing for purpose Thanks to Harness Racing New Zealand. Yep, living the dream. That's what it's called when it comes to pacing and get involved in harness racing today. NZ Harness Racing. Uh, visit hrnz.co.nz. And we're having this competition where every Thursday uh, we're uh, given $50 by the TAB. Thank you very much for that. We put it on a horse. Uh, and uh, hopefully uh, we make enough profit uh, that it's worthwhile and we will make a donation to a charity of our choice and this show's choice 
is, of course, Women's Refuge. And last week, we got up. Chablis got up for us, and we've got 130 bucks in the bin. So tomorrow night, we go to Addington uh, and race for number two, and our horse is Slip the Hundy. Slip the Hundy, 50 on the nose there of Slip the Hundy, and uh, we'll see if we can add to the 130 we've got in the bin. Uh, in terms of uh, tennis, the US Tennis Open, we're going to try and get uh, Dave Worsley on the phone after Stump for Smithy. I think we might have uh, achieved that. He's going to come on with us around about 11.40 uh, to talk about some of these results from uh, overnight. And as we're getting very, very serious about things, to talk about uh, the fact that uh, Canada have uh, produced a couple of good players uh, getting forward to the semi-final and finalists of both the men and the women. Zarev uh, overnight uh, beating Harris, 7-6, 6-3, 6-4 pretty much as predicted, and on court at the moment uh, in the women's, it's Pliskova against Sakari, and Sakari has just broken Pliskova's uh, serve in the first set. She leads two games to one. Um, and then, of, of course, Djokovic, uh, who's the hottest of favourites to play uh, the Italian Berrettini. Uh, they played at Wimbledon, and uh, now they're going to clash here in the US Tennis Open, John. So, um, yeah, more on the coming into on the rule changes. Uh, certainly didn't meet well initially with our core group. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and fair enough, when you hear these things, it's just like, God, you know, what are they doing to the game? You know, we, we love these big athletes colliding and smashing each other, but these changes are happening at the lower levels of rugby um, and that no jumping for the high ball initially I saw it in the um, secondary schools rugby. I was like, oh, gosh, you know, we take our rugby players, Smithy, from first 15 into minor 10 or MPC, and they're in Super Rugby before you know it. Sometimes they go straight out of high school into Super Rugby. So I was thinking, if they're not going to be allowed to jump for the ball in First 15 Rugby, we're going to have some big problems uh, in our higher grades. But it does look like next year, uh, if you're in a First 15, you can still leap for the ball. Uh, absolutely. It's just all the grades below that in uh, secondary school. You'll have to stay on the ground, Smithy, which I think brings its own dangers. If you can't jump in the air to catch the high ball, um, then you're fodder. You're just waiting there, waiting for all those chases like a box kick, like you talked with Dave Loveridge before. Uh, get all those wingers, all those loose forwards bearing down on you. The only keeping uh, thing keeping you safe is jumping in the air. They can't touch you in the air. But down on the ground, they can smash you below the sternum. They can absolutely smash you. Yep, and uh, as long as they get the timing right. Uh, and you can't, of course, have protection uh, unless the guy who's protecting you has run that line. He can't change his line. Uh, but then he can't obstruct the, the guys running through either. So you are, really are, um, I think, uh, leaving yourself wide open there. But uh, they will have looked into it. And as you say, uh, you can go to the, the rugby website, nzr.co.nz, and they will give you the reasons why they are implementing these changes, uh, particularly um, in those key law areas. Yeah, yeah, uh, that is really helpful, I think, Smithy, going to that yeah. nzrugby.co.nz, because it is like one thing New Zealand rugby does, this isn't just off a whim. Uh, this is something they've looked into long and hard, and uh, they've explained everything really well on that website with um, images, with videos, with links everywhere. So if you want a complete rundown, 
definitely go to nzrugby.co.nz and that will answer any questions you have because it's easy on Talkback Smithy on radio to fire up and chuck things out there and get upset. But mm. I guess you've got you to gotta, um, safeguard your game. Uh, and player numbers are dropping, there's no doubt about that, and injuries are occurring, and head knocks and all these things are a big blight on the game uh, and moving forward. So I can see why they're doing it. I just don't want them to change the game I knew and loved growing up. I love going up for high balls. I love tackles around the ball, you know, a big shoulder on the ball, and the ball comes flying out. You know, I love that sort of stuff. So I want the physicality, but I want the safety. Can I have both? I don't know. Yeah, can you have both? That's an interesting question. I, I, I missed an opportunity, actually. I should have asked... Uh, Dave Loveridge, what the concussion test was back uh, when they played the Springboks in 1981. I wonder, I wonder how deeply they went into concussion there. Uh, yeah, and, and on that subject, Anthony's come through and said uh, he was a kid uh, at that ground watching. The plane wheels went between the top of the posts at the terrace's end. Unbelievable. That is unbelievable. That is low. That is seriously low. Uh, right, here's an opportunity for you then. Uh, it is uh, just at 11.30. It's news time, but it's also time for you to Light up the lines and try and stump Smithy. Win 50 bucks worth of TAB vouchers. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Certainly is. He's been stumping people, winning uh, cash for Women's Refuge and our Pacing for Purpose, winning multis all last week, a couple this week. Can he get another victim in Stump by Smithy? Today we have got Simon from Auckland on line one. G'day, Simon. G'day boys, how you going? I'm going well, going very well. Very busy day as per usual in sport. What about you, uh, Simon in Auckland? How are you coping, mate? Yeah, not too bad, yep. Keeping an eye on the US Open? Yeah, it's Sakari and Priscilla, is it? Yeah. Started mm. Yeah. Now that Djokovic match should be all right too, I reckon, later on. Yeah, how have you made his form? He's dropped a few sets along the way. Um, yeah, and he's got Berrettini today. I think they played in the Wimbledon final, did they? Yeah, you might be right. It could be a, it could be a 3-1 to Djokovic, I'm feeling. Yeah, nice, nice. Lay it on at the TAB if you want to take uh, Simon's tip. R18, of course. All right, Simon, the way this game works, I give you three sporting categories, and then you choose one and get three questions right, then you get 50 bucks from the TAB, but get a question wrong, and Smithy can stump you, and you leave with nothing. So your sports today are cricket, rugby, and golf. What are you going to go for? Ooh, um... Golf. I'll go golf. All right, man. One of Smithy's strong suits, but they all are today, to be fair. Let's get started. Yeah. Golf. Do you play? Got a handicap? Nah, not really. Nah. I played a bit in, in, a while ago, but haven't played in a, in a while. <laughs> nah, it's best played with a beer in hand anyway and not keeping the score. Yeah. Well, no, I'm normally yeah. finding the ball in the trees. But anyway, Jack Nicholas is regarded by some as the GOAT of golf with 18 majors. What was his nickname? Jack Nicholas, um... Uh, was he the, uh, the golden beer? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Absolutely was, Smithy. You would know that. Did he have his own clothing line? Polos with a golden beer yeah. on it? Yeah, he did. He did for a long time, the golden beer. Yep, Jack Nicholas. So that was that was very gettable, that one. I was all over that. So uh, well done, Simon. Oh, look out, Simon. He, wa- he wants an opportunity, so don't give him one. Yeah. All right. Who was the first non-American to win the Masters? 
non-American to win the Masters. Mm. Um, going back a while, eh? Um, yeah, going back a while. Yeah. yeah. I'll go with an old boy, uh, Gary Player. There he goes! All the way! Up into the stand! One ahead in the first tier! That's hitting a cricket ball. Simon, you have seen that like a beach ball and plonked it over the boundary. Gary Player, absolutely. 1961, Smithy. You won't even remember that. Well, it's only four, but, um, yeah... We got, we're from a golfing family, so I knew all about Gary Player and his exploits. What a great player he was, one of the top three or four of his time. Uh, yeah, Gary Player, I was over that one too, Simon, so well done again. Ooh, does he still do those ceremonial tee-offs, Gary Player? Yep, at the Masters, yep. Epic. Uh, there's Jack Nicklaus and, and Gary Player, um, but uh, of course Arnold Palmer no longer with them. So this year I think they got Lee Elder, Lee Elder, a uh, famous uh, black golfer back in the day, but uh, he was in a wheelchair. They brought him along. He wasn't able to hit a ball, obviously, but uh, he was the third one this time around as a special guest. Oh, that is some deep knowledge there, Simon. So look out. One more question. You've done well so far. Two from two. In which year was Tiger Woods named PGA Tour Rookie of the Year? PGA Rookie of the Year. Yeah. She must be a fair while ago. Um... Oh, somewhere in the 90s. Um, I'll just have a stare, mate. I'll go 96. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Simon, you have done extremely well. When it comes to quiz questions on golf, you've got a scratch handicap. No doubt about that. Yeah, that was a guess, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> Don't play, your, don't play yourself down, mate. You've done brilliantly well, and you have got $50 from the TAB. Congratulations, so stay on the line, and we'll get your details. Boys, thanks a lot. Anytime, Simon. Okay. Yep, well done, Simon. Absolutely. Uh, 11.37 here on SENZ. Uh, we're going to be speaking very shortly. We've just uh, managed to get through to the rugby union. Talk to Steve Lancaster, who's uh, the man in charge of community rugby and uh, one of the men behind these decisions to make these rule changes. We'll find out why. Very shortly here on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.42 here on SENZ and at the last minute, uh, Steve Lancaster from uh, New Zealand Rugby, who's in charge of community rugby and the welfare of players, etc. At that level, um, has uh, very kindly joined us this morning to talk about uh, very briefly about these uh, law changes that have been introduced I guess uh, the reason why, uh, Stephen, I should say that we've had a lot of adverse texts, uh, initially anyway, I don't think people have read the fine print exactly, uh, but we had uh, some adverse uh, texts about the whole thing and a bit worried about it. Uh, so um, <clears throat> to alleviate that, uh, the reason why, first of all, 15 rule changes? Yeah, uh, well, well, I'll start um, by just clarifying that they are experimental uh, by definition, right? So we are trialling these law changes. Um, we want to see how they go, and we'll learn from them. And if uh, if they if they prove to be successful, then we'll look to embed them further. But if, in fact, um, we realise after a year that they haven't really had the desired impact, then uh, they are not set in stone, Smithy. So experimental by definition. But look, in terms of why uh, we have. Uh, introduce these trials for next year. It's all about uh, the participant experience and looking through two lenses essentially. The first is uh, safety, so wanting to ensure that 
Um, we're, we're doing everything we can to enhance the safety of the game, both perceived and real. Um, but secondly, enjoyability uh, to play. So we want the, to ensure that the game is uh, as enjoyable as possible for, for our community participants. Two of the hottest issues that we've uh, got in the initial reaction is, first of all, uh, the tackle level of the tackle, which is uh, sternum height. Can you clarify that one for us, please? Yeah, so we're looking to lower um, the height of the tackle, um, really just to, um, to to remove the potential um, for contact with the head um, and for those you know those head collisions and, and and the risk of head injury. So we trialled uh, we trialled the sternum tackle line this year in some um, select teenage grades, and uh, those trials were, were deemed successful. So we're looking to roll that out nationally at a teenage level and. Uh, depending on how that goes, we we may look to go to go further, but again, it's it's an iterative process at the moment, so we're we're learning as we go. So that one of the reasons I think the, I was talking before is one of the reasons why people have been targeting the higher area of the body. Of course, Steve is to stop the offload uh, because we you know players around mm. the world have been co- become so good at the offload uh, that will I guess uh, enhance the chances of, of the offload and the tackle, won't it? Exactly, Smithy. So, as I said, uh, both safety and uh, participant experience um, are, are, are um, motivations behind these trials. And one of the things we've actively contemplated is that by lowering the height of the tackle, we increase the likelihood of the offload. Um, if we increase the likelihood of the offload, we'll have more continuity in the game. That will give defences less time to get organised. So, we'll, you know, less will we see the picket fence defence and we'll start to see more fragmented defensive lines more attacking opportunities, hopefully more fun to play the game. It's, a, it's going to be, uh, put a little bit more emphasis on the referees, though, isn't it? Uh, we, we already see it with uh, those tackles above the sternum, around the neck area, the seatbelt-type tackles and things like that. Um, so referees are, are just going to be, have to be so much more vigilant in that area. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's, it, pro- it shouldn't make it any harder to referee uh, because, you know, currently there's, um, there's a level beyond above which you, you can't tackle anyway. We're just lowering uh, that level, and and while the sternum might seem um, a little bit hard to um, identify without putting lines on jerseys, um, really it's a it's a clear signal of intent that we want the tackle to be around the belly region rather than around the shoulders or the head. Okay, let's uh, look at uh, perhaps the other one that people have uh, been a little contentious about, and that mm-hmm. is the one of no longer taking the ball in the air, no, no longer taking the high ball in the air and staying grounded to do that? Yeah, well, it's... Uh, um, and this has, been, this has been some time in the making. It hasn't been a reaction to uh, last Saturday night I'll, I'll just, or Sunday night. I'll just say that um, from the outset. But, um, you know, clearly we've all seen in the last week um, how, how dangerous um, aerial collisions can be uh, both for the uh, for the tackler and for the ball receiver, and so we're really just looking to uh, to remove the risk of those mid-air collisions, uh, the potential for injury, um, mm-hmm. but without detracting from the game itself. And again, we've um, we trialled that this year. Um, we think it warrants further exploration as a trial. That uh, we're not clear yet on whether um, whether this is something that we should embed. Um, permanently in the game, but we definitely think it, it warrants further exploration this year. I know from a commentary point of view, uh, one of the things my fellow commentators talk about when it comes to scrum time is the frustration of reset scrums. Uh, you've also looked to address this. 
Yeah, yes, we have. So, um, you know, no, I don't think anybody enjoys uh, interminably reset scrums and you know, everyone standing around for three, four, five minutes while while the front rows uh, try to get it right. So, um, yeah, we're, we're we're looking to just speed the game up a little bit there, remove those interminable scrum resets um, by allowing you know for, for um, either a, an uncontested scrum or a free kick if the scrum collapses without um, a penalty infringement. So people can get more details on this if they go to the uh, nzrugby.co.nz website, Stephen. You've uh, also uh, in there you've outlined the reasons why in more detail. Uh, who was that actually part of uh, the group assessing these changes and uh, perhaps uh, recommending the the implementation of it? Yeah, we've uh, we've been through a, a, a several rounds of, of consultation and exploration. So, um, yeah, we've engaged with a, a range of different groups. We've uh, we've had a group of um, yeah, former um, All Blacks and experienced coaches, and, and Wayne Smith uh, quoted in the um, in the media release. He's he's been uh, one of the, the influential members in developing uh, some of these trials. Uh, but we've also um, had working groups that have involved provincial union staff, uh, coach developers, coaches themselves. Um, we've also had a um, player input. We had a um, youth player representative from uh, from the Tasman region that um, that joined a workshop, a full day workshop in Wellington to provide uh, the voice of a teenage participant as well. Um, so we've we've socialised these pretty uh, thoroughly um, before getting them to this point. And, and again, now we want to trial them. Um, on a broader level, but we will we will learn from those trials uh, and evaluate at the end of next season before we decide um, what the future is for these trials. Okay, uh, just one more thing before we, we let you go. Of course, you're in charge of of uh, community rugby and that and grassroots rugby, etc. And that means uh, uh, the NPC, the FPC, etc. Uh, anything um, on the horizon, the near horizon, and bearing in mind, of course, Auckland is still in, in level two as such. Level four, sorry. Um, no, yeah, level four. I wish it was level two. Um, no, we're, mm. we're still a wait see. Uh, hopefully we get some positive news on, on Monday and, and Auckland moves to level three with a, a pathway to level two. But um, like everybody else, we'll, we'll just be waiting to see what that announcement is. Okay, Steve, thanks very much for your time this morning and clarifying a few points, uh, the why and wherefores of those rule changes. I hope it goes well. Really do. Thanks very much, Steve. Cheers. Yep. Yeah, cheers. Steve Lancaster there from uh, New Zealand Rugby. Uh, he's uh, the man with the responsibility of, of implementing these changes. And, uh, and as he said, uh, it's only experimental at this stage. Um, and uh, every year something new comes in. Seems a lot 15, but uh, if you read through the fine print, really, go to that website, nzrugby.co.nz. Uh, you'll find uh, a lot more justification than, uh, than John Day and I were able to with very little warning. So if you really feel deeply about it, that's the place to go. Uh, 11.51 here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's 11.56 here on NZ, SENZ. Um, getting my initials mucked up there. I've said it a million times. I don't know why it's not automatic. Uh, Mark Stafford is uh, taking over at 12 o'clock. News this morning, Staffy, of some... Rule changes at the, the lower levels of rugby. We just had Steve Lancaster on to explain two or three of them in particular, but 15 across the board. Uh, interesting. Really interesting, Smithy. Really interesting and in how, how coaches are going to try and implement that and what they think of it. So 
We're going to Kevin Putt, who's part of King's College, obviously a very traditional rugby school, just to see how he thinks it'll impact that sort of age group. But yeah, it's a, it's a big read, isn't it? Geez, there's so much to get your head around. Mm, it is actually, and I encourage people to do that because our initial reaction was no, 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 from a multitude of texts from the outside. We even got a, a couple of callers in on, on the deal as well. So... Uh, yeah, so Steve Lancaster uh, justifying uh, the reasons why and, and, and really stressing the fact that uh, experimental was the word he said, experimental. Mm. Uh, and so I suppose they've got to continue to tinker with the game. What, what else have you got lined up uh, this afternoon for us? Uh, we've got the usual, Brett Phillips out of uh, SEN in, a, in Australia. He's got, a, he's got a wonderful podcast actually on the SEN app called First Serve for all the tennis gurus out there. It's well worth a listen. Um, Georgia Hale, the NRLW Warriors captain on the developing situation in the NRLW. It's a bit of a favourite story of mine at the moment. It just keeps developing and keeps disappointing, Smithy. Um, And I actually had another guest lined up, um, but right at the last minute pulled out because she was too scared of speaking out because of the ramifications. So if that doesn't tell you the, the seriousness of the situation and how threatened they feel... Um, yeah, so I feel lucky that we've got Georgia Hale on who will speak to us. Uh, also, Karen Berger, the uh, Silver Fern and Tactics defender. We're just going to catch up with her and see how preparations are going. And I know we're talking to her straight after a podiatrist appointment, Smithy. So I'll ask her how feet are, eh? Is that a good question? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, Staffy, if that's your thing. Maybe you go right ahead and do that. <laughs> I've got to say, I'm sure there's a, a few people around and I can see Trudy uh, putting her foot up on the desk as well. So maybe she's hinting that she needs a, a podiatrist. Yeah appointment the first first thing out of uh, uh trudy might come in uh, first thing out of uh, level four trudy might be a mani petty is, is that on the on the cards wow. you? i like your thinking yes yeah, so either that or the hairdresser one or the other she's very she's very um welcoming <laughs> of a voucher smithy she's very welcoming of a, <laughs> of a mani petty voucher well if i can't find them uh, if you're coming down to hawks bay i'll arrange a mani petty for you too but <laughs> Thanks, in auckland I, i'm going to leave that up to uh to jd I'm going to leave it up to it. All, all the morning crew, actually, all the morning j- blokes should chip in um, and, and and make sure that you get a, a good mani pedi when you're like allowed it. to get yeah. out of level four. Thanks, How's You're that? a gem. Thanks. Okay. I look forward to listening to uh, staff this afternoon, folks. Um, uh, to you, Trude, uh, of course, um, and to Brian and to John Day. Uh, extremely good. We winged it a wee bit this morning uh, coming with some late interviews, but uh, I think we got through okay uh, and getting the theme of the day. And that will continue now with Staffy. Have a great afternoon, is Kiwi for Sport.